0: In Jerusalem, A.D. 30, Jesus died on the cross, resurrected on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. Fifty days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit fell on the apostles, giving them power, purpose, and a plan. And out of joy, the church was born. Empowered by the Spirit, Peter gave his first sermon, and 3,000 hearts were transformed. Hearing, receiving, and repenting, the young church walked in unity and garnered praise. Peter and John then continued to spread the gospel through preaching and miracles, and the church grew by 5,000. In AD 31, Stephen gave a powerful sermon, and the enraged crowd stoned him, making him the first Christian martyr. Around AD 34, on the road to Damascus, The Lord transformed the heart of Saul, a man who persecuted countless Christians. And Saul became Paul. In AD 44, King Herod Agrippa I executed the Apostle James and had Peter arrested. But an angel rescued Peter, leading him out of the prison. As the believers were scattered because of persecution, the center of operations for Christianity turned from Jerusalem to Antioch where Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their first missionary journey. On his final missionary journey, Paul traveled through Galatia, Phrygia, and Ephesus, encouraging the disciples in the cities. He then spent three months in Greece before traveling to Jerusalem, where he was arrested. Paul was then sent to Rome for trial, but the shipwrecked on the island of Malta. When he finally arrived in Rome, he lived there for two years before Nero ordered his beheading. And after 28 chapters, the story of Acts came to an end. Yet the story of the gospel didn't stop there. Out of joy, the church multiplied. In AD 80, 80, Christianity spread further to the countries of France and Tunisia. 20 years later, the first Christians were reported in Algeria and Sri Lanka. By AD 150, the gospel reached Portugal and Morocco Christianity found its way to Austria in AD 174, followed by Switzerland and Belgium. In AD 328, the gospel reached Ethiopia. Almost 200 years later, Pope Gregory I sent Augustine of Canterbury and a team of missionaries to present-day England. And within the first year, they baptized 10,000 people. In AD 635, the first Christian missionaries arrived in China In AD 740, Irish monks brought the gospel to Iceland. But it wasn't until AD 900 that missionaries reached the country of Norway. Out of joy, the church multiplied. By 1200, the Bible was available in 22 languages. In 1491, missionaries arrived in the African Congo with the first church located in Angola. A few years later, Kenya reported its first known Christians. Meanwhile, in Spain, Pope Alexander VI wanted to send Catholic missions to the New World. As a result, Christopher Columbus took priests with him on his second journey to the Americas. In 1531, Franciscan Juan de Padilla started his mission work in Mexico City. By 1550, John Calvin sent French Protestants to reach the people of Brazil. In 1640, Jesuit missionaries finally reached the Caribbean, landing on the island of Martinique. Out of joy, the church multiplied. The early 1700s saw the rise of the Great Awakening in America, where both George Whitefield and Jonathan Edwards stirred revival throughout the colonies. In 1845, the Southern Baptist Convention formed in Augusta, Georgia, and decided to take the gospel out west. Thirteen families settled on the Texas Plains, establishing Hulford Prairie Church. In
1: 1937, the Baptists had multiplied into hundreds of churches by then across Texas. There was a church formed in North Grand Prairie, Texas. Seventeen people huddled in a little 15 by 25 building in a place called the Shady Grove Cemetery and First Baptist Church of Shady Grove was formed. Later it became known as Shady Grove Baptist Church. Here's a little congregation. That same year, having received some land donated for a building, the men of the church are leveling land to build on where their church was built. Their history said that the men leveled the land and the women spread out lunch. Over the years, their building came to look like this. On March 10, 1974, after several pastors from their beginning, Pastor Olin Griffin became their pastor. A new pastor he had pastored before at First Baptist Church in Johnson City. He wore a big cross around his neck. He loved Jesus. And through his leadership, they began to have some late-night prayer meetings, some gifts of the Spirit began to operate, and it wasn't long till they were invited to leave the Dallas Association that they were part of. On December 18, 1974, that wonderful little building burned down. Out of the ashes and through the leadership of Pastor Olin Griffin, the congregation determined not to disband, but to move forward. Spring of 1975, having been ousted from the state district that their church was part of, Shady Grove Baptist Church simply became known as Shady Grove. This is a picture of their second building. This is the building they were in when Yvette and I joined them in 1987. Come a long ways from there to here, right? What a blessing. This is the inside of the building. It was in uh, April of 1987. My wife and I were sitting on the back row. We were visiting them for the second time. And I turned to a vet and I said, this feels like home. It was kind of like the word home was just on my heart. Just kind of there, home. Just stamped there. And they were singing a new song. I still remember to this day. It came to an end, Pastor Olin stepped up to the microphone and pointed at the back row of the balcony right where we were sitting and said, you're home, welcome home. That began glorious days in that church. It was like a school of worship and a school of the word, a wonderful blending of the two. In 1990, a group in Granbury, Texas had been praying about being a church and towards the end of that year, Shady Grove Church agreed to help them. They had their first public meeting at Ken and Barbara Smith's house. Yes, this church began in a Ken and Barbie house at 788 Hidden Valley in Western Hills Plaza. The house is still there to this day. Here they are on their second Sunday to meet together as a congregation. From there began a relationship that connected the two churches, the big church and the baby church. We were so blessed to be connected with them. So 11 years later, this place was built. And it's our ninth location, but this was ours and it's paid for. Can you give the Lord some praise? Amen. Christ's ministry continues through us, and it continues to this day. Have you found chapter 29 yet? It's not there. You didn't get gypped. It's here. It's us alive today. The book kind of leaves you hanging. The last couple verses, let's just go ahead and begin in verse 28. Paul is now a prisoner in Rome awaiting trial before Nero based on false accusations made against him in Judea. And while there, he called together all the synagogue leaders, all the Jewish community leaders from the capital of the world, from Rome. It's believed at that time there was around 13 synagogues. So a room full of leaders came and spent the day with Paul. And he preached Jesus to them from the law and the prophets. Yeshua Hamashiach, Jesus as their Messiah. At the conclusion of his talk, he said, Therefore let it be known to you, Acts twenty eight, twenty eight, therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. The good news of the kingdom comes to the Jews first because they're the children of Abraham. And then us next. Aren't we blessed? And when he had said these words, the Jews departed, and a great dispute was among themselves. Some became believers and some didn't, and they left the room debating. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. So he's a prisoner for two years in his own rented house, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So was he chained to Rome, or was Rome chained to him? Was he a prisoner of the state? He didn't look at it like this. He called himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm chained to my ministry. And so with the freedom that he had, he was able to proclaim the kingdom of God, which is the government of God in the earth. It's anywhere and anyone where God's will is done, and yet it's the coming state that we look forward to. We're living in the now, looking for that which is not yet the fullness of the kingdom of God, but we get to taste it now in seeing God's will fulfilled in our lives individually. And teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding Him. We've been preaching through Acts, verse by verse, this is my 60th presentation, and we're done. No applause, please. I've enjoyed it. Some has asked, what's next? What's next? Well, i tell you one thing. We're not going to get away from the Word, but we're going to operate based on some of the basics that we saw at the very beginning of this book. But first of all, it starts with Jesus, because He is the builder of the church. Can I get an Amen. Bill Johnson often says this. He's a pastor in Redding, California. He says, the Lord started his church the way he wanted it, and now he wants it the way he started it. Many times as humans, we want the church the way we want it. But the Lord wants the church the way he started it. We would do well to heed that. Now, that doesn't mean we have to wear sandals and robes and ride around on camels and throw our phones away and swat mosquitoes and shut down our air conditioning. But it means the principles by which the Lord directed us to live and for churches to operate in should still be functioning today. And I believe every sincere church endeavors to do that. But it all starts with the Lordship of Jesus. When he began his public ministry, he began to preach and say, repent. It all starts with repenting, turning from your self-willed ways to walk in that narrow way. His ministry was a bridge between the broad way that leads to destruction and the narrow way that leads to eternal life. That's kind of what a church is. It's like a funnel. Imagine the broad way that leads to destruction, a road that's just wide as can be, and then a narrow way that leads to eternal life. And so the church is part of God's processing plan to get our lives focused as we journey in Him towards that narrow way it's more like an upside-down funnel that bridge between broadness and narrowness the will of God he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand it's here and yet it's coming it's near and yet it's far away we are living in this place in what was called the Sermon on the Mount by certain theologians He gave a lot of commands, telling us to love our enemies, to do good to those who spitefully use us, to forgive those who offend us and hurt us, to show love to those who are unloving, and other things. And to simply label it the Sermon on the Mount puts it in a box where people really don't have to allow it to deal with them. No, this is tough stuff. I had one preacher tell me, oh... Jesus just spoke in the ideal. God never expected anybody to live that way. I don't think so. He's a word of God made flesh, came to speak meaningless platitudes, things we just acquiesced to. He knows us hard. We can't do what he said without his help. So this is an invitation of surrender to the Lord. And in that teaching, he added this parable. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation is on the rock. It had its foundation on the rock. Verse 26 of Matthew 7. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Following Jesus, entering into the kingdom, does not involve a problem-free life. There are winds that are going to blow in your life. There's proverbial storms that are going to wreak havoc. Sometimes there's even literal stuff like that that's going to happen. But if you're connected to what Jesus said about the way to live and you're beginning to practice them and allowing him to empower you by his spirit to walk in his way and repent when you need to you will stand you may think everything around you is falling apart but you're not going to fall apart because he is our foundation can i get a yes he is what else did he say and a couple other places in matthew he had asked his disciples all right guys who who am i who do you say that i am and Peter said, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, right. I tell you this, you are Peter. The Greek word he used there is Petros. means a little rock. That's the nickname he gave him. He renamed him Peter. His name was Simon. You are Peter. And on this rock, Petra, big rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church that hell cannot overcome is a church that's built upon the foundation of Jesus, who He is. And He is Lord, so His Word is important. I know church communities can be fun. They can almost be like social clubs or cliques or whatever. But if we don't have the Word of God taken seriously, proclaimed and taught through multiple venues, we are just that, just a club. And when the winds come and the storms blow, guess what? We're not built on the rock. We're built on the shifting sands of our own opinions. And he's talking about the end of the world. In Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom, the good news that God's will is being done in his kingdom, shall be preached in the whole world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So why hasn't the income why hasn't all the foolish foolishness in the world come to an end because there's still people that hasn't heard the gospel of the kingdom right. Right. well I'm so glad the TV waves are going all over the world that's wonderful great but you got to have electricity you got to have television and you got to have the ability to speak English to understand those preachers. I think it's boots on the ground. Thank God for the Air Force. But without boots on the ground, we never really conquer our enemies. And without boots on the ground, the gospel of the kingdom will never be preached in all the world as a witness. So as the ministry of Jesus is continuing, the Lord may call you to leave comfortable grand barriers, cool as it is right now, How many feel called to Alaska? (laughs) The Lord may lead you either short-term or long-term or the rest of your life someplace else to establish His kingdom in those places so that people who've never heard the gospel of the kingdom can hear it. Do you know in our day, more people in the world have heard about Coca-Cola than have heard about Jesus? We've got a great task before us. In Matthew 28, conclusion of His earthly ministry, towards the conclusion. He's told his disciples, all authority, let's say it, all of it, all say all of it, all authority. all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has it all. Therefore, because I have all this authority, go and make disciples, not converts, disciples. Converts can be a quick thing. Hey, repeat after me. Now you've got eternal life don't mess with me anymore as I saw a notch on my evangelistic gun. No, that's not the will of the Lord. To make disciples, take time with folks, teach them the word of God and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do we do with disciples? We teach them to obey everything. Somebody else said all of it. Everything I have commanded you. What did he command? It's right there in the Gospels. And surely I am with you always. Who's glad that Jesus has never left us? Through his spirit, we are never alone. You may feel alone, but you're not. To the very end of the age, he's with us till it's all over. He's with us till every nation has heard the gospel of the kingdom. Prior to his ascension in Acts, we saw this day one when we started this series 60 sermons ago. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He had told them to stay in Jerusalem till they were filled with the spirit endued with power. And as a result, you shall be witnesses to me. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And Paul, that we see here at the end of the book, teaching about the kingdom of God and everything to do with Jesus, still working, was doing this very thing, endeavoring to do it to the end of the earth. Some people say he fulfilled it. I don't think so. There's plenty of folks around the world that hadn't heard the gospel yet by then, even to our day, but it's still spreading. In the next chapter, filled with the Spirit, Peter preached the first gospel of the kingdom sermon as a member of the church that was born on that day, the day of Pentecost, or in Hebrew, the day of Shavuot, the day they celebrate early harvest and the day that Moses received the law from God. It's also the day David was born and the day David passed. David was anointed king. David was promised a kingdom that would never end. And it's significant to me that the followers of Jesus were crowned with fire on that day. Talk about being anointed. Citizens of the kingdom of God that was promised to King David. How did he preach? He preached so much that the crowd became convicted of their sins and they asked Peter, they were cut to the heart, said, brothers, what shall we do? He replied, repent, there that word is again, and be baptized, every one of you in the name of, that is in the authority of the representation, the ownership of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who far, are far off. How many are a long ways from Jerusalem? Who's a long ways from the day of Pentecost? The original one, yeah. For all whom the Lord our God will call. Who's heard the Lord call? And however way it came. So this promise is still in existence to, for us today. We're still called to repent and be baptized, but that's just the starting. Now we learn What Jesus commanded. Now we walk in understanding that the word of God is important. It shows us how to live. So having responded to this, what was the response? Those who gladly received the word were baptized. That same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now I believe this kind of happened near the temple or part of the temple complex which had over a dozen mikvahs. So Each disciple, each of the 12 apostles had their own baptismal pool, I guess. And had a big baptismal service on the first day of the church. So baptism is important. And they continued steadfastly. Somebody said faithfully. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that means teaching, and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Acts 29, what's next? We, to follow the pattern for the church, need to continue in the apostles' doctrine. What is the apostles' doctrine? Some strange thing that we hadn't seen in the Word before? No. Something disconnected from the Old Covenant? No. Something different from what Jesus taught? No. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That is, they were faithful in hearing what Jesus taught. Hearing His commands. As the disciples were discipled by the Lord, they made disciples just as they were discipled. It's not rocket science. It's it's, it's very simple. They were faithful in fellowshipping together. I'm concerned in our 24-7 culture that the American way of living has us so busy we don't have time for one another. So spread out. So in debt or having to be responsible for so much we don't have time for fellowship it's important fellowships not only fun but it's a safe place where you can pour your heart out and have receive ministry and advice and counsel there's some wise people around here to fellowship with faithfulness and having meals together Oh, we got the breaking bread down right but not always together not always together in our 24-7 culture there are ways of doing this some of you are on the road, you have to be out of town. Just figure out a way where you can fellowship with a brother on the road or a sister, if you're a sister, that you can encourage one another over a meal. Invite somebody over that annoys the heck out of you. There is something about breaking bread with people that annoy you that the defenses come down. There's healing in it. It just is. Especially if that person's a great cook. Bring your cookies with you. Faithfulness in praying together. We'll have some of this in this room today. But it's beyond just Sunday morning. This was constantly part of their lifestyle. They continued steadfastly. They didn't move away from it. It wasn't just an occasional thing. Faithfulness in meeting publicly and faithfulness in meeting privately. The chapter ends which every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. I think that's where Peter preached every day. That's a public place. This is a public place. We got public places all over town. They broke bread in their homes. That's private places. And ate together. Somebody said together. With glad and sincere hearts. They weren't bad-mouthing each other. Can't believe he wore that to church. Munch, munch, munch your children will never develop an appetite for god if you have fried chicken and cook saints for dinner (laughs) praising god that's worship it's awesome you don't have to have a band with you it's nice but praising god is something we're called to do constantly enjoying the favor of all the people when you have favor with the unbelieving world enjoy it and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved now that Favor was short-lived. It wasn't long till Stephen got stoned and it wasn't smoking weed. But the Lord was adding to their church because they were a healthy church, devoted to teaching, worship, fellowship, and meals together and praying publicly and privately. And of course, worship was part of it. And finally, maintaining unity. Our unity is so important. When we get away from the teachings of Jesus, about loving one another and loving your enemies and doing good to those that aren't worthy of being treated well, when that's in operation, guess what kind of church you have? Unity. But if we get away from that, we we become a tit-for-tat culture. You know? You shot my cat, I'm going to run over your dog. (laughs) Heard about the guy that ran over his neighbor's cat. He felt so bad about it, so when he got out of his car, he quickly picked the cat up and put it behind his neighbor's car. His neighbor left the house to go to work, ran over the cat, quickly stopped his car, got out, picked up the cat, and put it behind his wife's car. (laughs) Faithfulness to what Jesus said. Faithfulness to the Word. Faithfulness to the body. Faithfulness to your calling. Your call to do some things that nobody else is called to do. Don't get mad that everybody's not doing what you feel called to do. Just be faithful at it. Invite somebody to join you so you're not doing it by yourself. The Lord sent people out two by two. Don't do things by yourself, but be faithful at it. Can you say faithful? Faithful. This is a seven-point sermon with one really big point. Faithful. Faithfulness in hearing the Lord's word fellowshipping together, having meals together, praying together, meeting publicly, meeting privately, and maintaining our unity, faithfulness. There's a network of church planters. Matt Chandler of the Village Church, who produced that earlier video, who liked that video? That was a great video. It's called the Acts 29 Network, and it's a network of church planters. They encourage each other. And this next video you're going to see is one of their church planters in Wales. You'll like his accent telling you don't be a punk, don't quit. Encouraging folks to not give up, but to hold on and be faithful. When you're mad, don't quit. When you're sad, don't quit. When you're happy,
2: don't quit. When you're tired, don't quit. Watch this. All right, do not quit. Just don't quit. Just don't do it. Don't quit. You must not quit. Everything is gonna tell you to quit. Your circumstances, your head, your situation, people, Satan, sin, it's all gonna tell you to quit. Jesus Christ says, don't quit. He says, plant that church, do that thing, bring his kingdom to bear here on earth as it is in heaven. Don't let anything stop you planting that church. Go for it. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the one who despised the cross, enduring its shame, came through Gethsemane, came through Calvary, rose again. You're gonna get the snot kicked out of you. You're gonna be discouraged. You're gonna get depressed. Your family's gonna suffer. Your church is gonna be hard work. It's gonna be hard yards, but don't be a ponce. Don't quit. Here's a little scripture to encourage you. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So yeah, don't quit. It's going to be a hard yard. Don't
1: be a punk. Don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the book of Acts. Thank you, Lord, that we're included in that long lineage of faithful saints. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in our day that should Your return tarry and it takes much longer to see the gospel of the kingdom reach the whole world as a witness before the end comes. Lord, may history record us as a faithful people in Jesus' name. Amen. As we worship the Lord, let's prepare our hearts to minister to one another.
3: Bye.
1: They weren't highly, highly organized. In fact, they had a little division. Some murmuring came up when their Meals on Wheels program for widows uh, lost some wheels. They had to give some more organization so they didn't drop the ball there. Some people were getting neglected through that, through that ministry. Which means the church doesn't have to be organized for you to have ministry. If you're called to something unique that's not happening yet, find someone to join you and go for it ask the Lord to empower you to do what he's called you to do maybe some of the things you think are a disadvantage to ministry maybe you travel or maybe you're homebound that actually can be an advantage Paul was homebound for two years guess what he wrote the book of Ephesians masterpiece he wrote wrote the book of Colossians echo of the masterpiece he wrote the book of Philippians encouragement to anyone going through stormy times. he maximized his time. they say that he changed they changed guards every few hours to keep them from becoming Christians. That's right. So your limitation actually is your calling. And if change can come, the Lord can bring it but if you're where things can't change, there's an advantage to it. Let God use you mightily. Brighten the corner where you
4: are. We used to sing when I was a kid. Brighten the corner where you are.